It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. We are very excited about today's guests because this is a subject matter that we have really only skimmed the surface, if at all, on this show, which is about sex and sexuality, which some of our guests have touched upon. But one element of this that I'm especially excited to explore today amongst many elements of our sexuality as as sexual human beings is about age. (laughs) And Susan... When I was reflecting on what I was most interested to hear your thoughts on today, I really wanted to hear more about how age plays a role in our sex lives because we hear a little bit about the cliche elements of how our bodies and our sex drive changes when we get older. We hear a lot about kind of the gender stereotypes around like what men want, what women want at different cycles. But I'm actually at a point where I'm questioning some of those things. And I'm curious with your experience, what you're learning now in 2021 and in recent years, because I would imagine that there's a lot of outdated information. And as a woman, ageism comes up a lot. Although Jason's spoken about ageism for himself too. He has concerns that I didn't even realize men had concerns about. So perhaps all genders and whatever somebody identifies as, there's a concern around how our bodies change when we age. We have shame, we have fears, we have questions, and our bodies are naturally shifting throughout our entire lives. So certainly that impacts our sexuality. And you use the term ageless as we were speaking before we hit record, which brings me a lot of comfort. So even though we're going to get into some uncomfortable things today, I also hope that we get into some comforting tidbits of wisdom that you have to share. And I want to know what ageless sexuality, if that's that's how you would uh, phrase it, what that means for you and what you've been discovering in recent years and if there are any like myths to bust about how age plays a role in our sexuality. Yeah, I have good news for you. You're going to get old and wrinkled and die, but you can have the best sex of your life as an old fart. (laughs) Sex just keeps getting better your whole life long. If you are someone who values your sexuality and someone who is a lifelong learner, there are really two sides to sex. One is the mental and one is the physical. And the mental, all of the old paradigms were, oh, sex is over after menopause. Old people don't have sex. Old people having sex is disgusting, whatever it might be. And then there was the the other piece of it, which is just your own connection to yourself and how you feel about yourself as a sexual person. And in my work with people, and, and I don't work one-on-one with people, 
What I do is I run two companies and I'm the face of the brand. The first company that I run is a publishing company where for the last 15 years, we've published passionate lovemaking techniques and bedroom communication skills. And then the other company I run is a supplement company and we manufacture, I formulate, we manufacture blood flow supplements and libido vitamins and minerals. And what I learned when I started out was that there are people who need to go to therapists because they have an issue around their sexuality. It could have been trauma or what have you. But most people, what I saw in the, in the world was that most people are operating at a very low level of knowledge about sexuality. They don't know techniques. They don't understand their anatomy. They don't have communication skills. And they're getting most of their information from mainstream media and pornography, which are the two worst places to get information. So my first order of business was to help people transform having sex into making love. My brand stands for heart-connected, passionate lovemaking. It's non-transactional, and it's not informed by the world outside. It teaches people to look for their desires within themselves. And what I found is that if you take a 100 random people, only 15 of them are willing to fight for their sex life. They're oriented toward personal development. They're learning-based. They know that when they learn new things, they get better at stuff, including sex. So it surprised me that it wasn't a larger number, but it is what it is. And all I can do is help the people who want to be helped, who say, yeah, I actually like sex or I want to. I think there's something there for me. I think I could maybe try some new things or i really love when it's good how do i how do i have it be good all the time or how do i find that kind of partner that satisfies me how do i find pleasure myself you know i'm going to pursue this i'm going to learn about things i'm hungry for information and it's those people that 15% who when they think about themselves and their movement through their life they are always trying to do better they're trying to have better sex. They're trying to work on improving their health. They're trying to expand their consciousness. They're trying to give more back to the universe. They are just people who have that mindset, that growth mindset, that growth and gift mindset. And those people tend to be attracted to passionate lovemaking techniques. They want to have a deep sense of intimacy. They want to go, go into ecstatic states. They want to have the joy of connection. They want to know how to feel good about their body and its imperfectness. They're looking for that. And that's really where I live and what I think is the opportunity that we all have, but that only some of us will take. Ooh, wow. I mean, one of of the things that I know you're you're t passionate about as well is how technology has impacted lovemaking, sexuality, intimacy. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about how right now it feels like millennials have really been struggling with that, but certainly Gen X has, Gen Z, perhaps all of the living generations or generations that had been around for for online dating. And it, it's 
fascinating to me because it seems like it's often taking shortcuts. We've talked about this on the show. I believe, Jason, it was in that episode we did about the book Alone Together, which gets into our use of technology, social media, and how many of us are very lonely. We look to technology to satisfy ourselves, to your point as well, the satisfaction element of sexuality. And I often wonder, especially with the younger generations, like, are they being conditioned to seek personal satisfaction, whereas it, it's interrupting the ability to connect? Because in my mind, I associate older generations with intimacy, but it seems like the younger generations might be struggling. And I wonder if that's because of the role of technology. Do you find that to be true, Susan? And certainly it's a big generalization, but what have you discovered with clients and research in terms of how different generations are exploring their sexuality and, and perceiving intimacy? I think the younger generation is absolutely incredible. I am so happy to leave the earth to them because they are for gender equality and gender expression. And I see everything moving in the right direction. I love that they embrace technology. Technology can make it so good. I mean, if you think about the oldie days when the boomers were coming of age and starting to date and have sex, we didn't have easy STI tests available through Planned Parenthood. We didn't even really understand what conscious connection was. We didn't have apps that allowed us to really zero in on the things that we're most interested in. You know, as you mature, what you want in your 20s is the opportunities for exploration. You want to have experiences. In your 30s, you're kind of starting to settle into who you are a little bit more. And you often want to, many people want to get married, have kids. And then in your 40s, your kids are, and, and these this can happen at all ages. This is just a generalization. In your 40s, you're starting to, your kids are starting to get on their feet if you've had them and you're getting a little more time for yourself and you're beginning to sense your own mortality and you're thinking to yourself, and this is the 15 percenters I'm talking about here, the ones that care about their sexuality. They're starting to think about, hey, wait a minute, I've never explored my G spot. Geez, I'm having stamina trouble or I'm not as firm as I used to be. And by the time you get into your fifties, you're like, I better use it because I'm going to lose it. Or you're of the mindset of, oh, wow, there's sexual regenerative treatments. Like I could go get Gaines Wave and firm up my erection, or I could go get a Femi Wave or an O Shot or use a V Fit to, you know, bring back the sensation that I've lost with the atrophy of aging. Oh, you mean penis pumps actually work to reverse ED? That's interesting. You know, you can start to to become aware of the kinds of things that you can do to keep your body in good shape so that you can keep making love. And by the time you're in your 60s, you know a little bit about having sex. You're probably a pretty good love maker. And if you've kept your body in good shape, you have the time and the interest to really start to develop some orgasmic practices together. 
like expanded orgasm practices or learning female ejaculation or becoming a multi-orgasmic man. There are things you can explore in that way, or you might decide, hey, you know, we're so stable in our relationship. We want to get a girlfriend or get into a polycule with a number of partners and make love together and explore that. I mean, there's so much exploration that's going on in, in the world today. So by the time you're 70 and 80, you're just damn happy you're still having sex and it, and you're you're happy about it and you're doing it and it's still a lot of fun and it's a big part of your life even to those ages. I have a couple of fans in their 90s who are still together and even a couple of them that make love multiple times a week. And by make love, I don't necessarily always mean penis in vagina intercourse, because making love is a really big palette of what creates intimate connection for people. So I think the younger generation has so many fantastic assets that are available to them that the older generation didn't have, that sexuality is actually exploding. Sexual expression is exploding. The things people want to try is, a, you know, exploding. The, the smorgasbord of sexual possibility is just such a rich soup right now. So I am thrilled about the future of sexuality, sex tech, digital aspects of it, sex toys, sex policy and procedures and boundaries and agreements and poly and open and lifestyles and swingers. And, you know, I mean, people are really finding what they like and having fun in ways they never were before. So it's just getting better. There's so many things I want to ask you, Susan. It just feels like it feels like you took our hand. And we're just going deep down this like well lubricated <laughs> rabbit hole. And there's just so many other tunnels. Boy, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with this. In terms of <laughs> Our sexuality. Yeah. I have heard terminology regarding nature versus nurture in terms of people phrasing, I'm wired for monogamy, I'm wired for polyamory, versus seeing that people explore different things throughout the course of their entire life and that they're not particularly hardwired toward one particular kind of expression. In your work and in your personal life, I mean, let's get uncomfortable for a second. Sure, sure, sure. What is your current belief around people being, quote, wired, using that type of expression, versus perhaps experiences in curiosity and experimenting, imprinting our sexual desires, and those things changing over the course of one's life? Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about that? Are we inherently wired toward a specific type of sexual expression or a container of monogamy? Or is that just learned behavior that we could unlearn and then experiment with different things? It's learned behavior. All of it's learned behavior. Polly is learned behavior. You never even knew what it was till you heard it. And then you were like, some people were like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. What's the difference between Othman and Polly? You know, awareness is the key. And not being afraid of information and being open to what people are interested in. There are a lot of fetishists and there are a lot of turn-ons. There's explosions in BDSM and in kink, in all kinds of arrangements, in gender slipperiness, if you will. So it's really just, what's great about sex is that if you are the kind of person who wants to continue to evolve in the sexuality of your life, in that category of your life, then there's always more. 
The great thing about sex is it is a gift that keeps on giving. It's just like learning how to cook. Food is wonderful. There's always new recipes. There's always new cuisines. There's always new taste profiles. It's the same thing. If you like to eat and you enjoy cooking, you're always going to check out cookbooks and cooking shows and want to know about restaurants. It's the same thing with sexuality. It's just an area of interest and you have some level of openness to certain things. And as you mature, you might say to yourself, you know, at, at 20, I would never like to be spanked because that's degrading to women. And I, I don't know why anyone would want to be in pain. And then when you're 40, you're like, that felt really good when he smacked my ass. What the hell is that? Oh, I'm totally turned on by that. I think I will masturbate to that fantasy now, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> what you want, your appetites change and evolve if you allow them to, and you're open to it. So there are many couples who open their relationship and then close their relationship and then try, and you know, many, many people who are what I, in this big tree of what you would consider to be ethically non-monogamous, which has branches on it, like poly and open and lifestyle, et cetera. You will see that many people and or couples go through many iterations of agreements based on becoming more comfortable with it. Like, well, we're going to a party, but we're only going to be together. And now it's like, well, you know, maybe we'll go with this other couple and maybe we'll do, you know, like makeouts with each other while we watch other people. You're constantly, if you allow yourself, evolving and opening to possibility and seeing things that might turn you on. And I think that's one of the reasons, to your point, Susan, that the younger generation, like for me, I'm a millennial and I often am fascinated by Gen Z culture, especially its dominance on on some of the social media platforms that I'm on. And there does seem to be a lot of openness and the way that they express themselves on, on social media is very open when it comes to sexuality and certainly the all the different forms of expression and choices or, or natural inclinations to who somebody wants to be with. And even earlier today, there was a celebrity that I saw discussed on, on TikTok and, and the sexuality seems very fluid and, and that's becoming very acceptable. And, you know, to your point, it's a different way of looking at it because maybe some people grew up in older generations with their blinders on and maybe they felt something about themselves that they didn't feel like they were free to express. And it is so exciting to see that freedom and that exploration happening. And it's hard to say with the younger generations too, because they are young. I mean, I think the oldest Gen Z is 24 years old and there's still so much developing within themselves. And who knows what they'll become right now. They, they kind of seem from my perception, like they're just trying to figure out their identities, but they feel free. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah. And, and even just one thing that came up for me as I was thinking about what feels exciting is when I, I was growing up in, in my twenties, I was interested in things or actually probably in my teens, but more aware of it in my 20s, just like sex toys. I remember being yeah. fairly young and before the internet was as accessible as it is today, I think like there were magazines where you could order sex toys. And I was like, ooh, that that would feel good, but it's not accessible. Like I can't just go order it privately. My parents would have to find out, like, how am I going to pay for this thing? <laughs> you know, but it, it felt expensive. And now we have so much development with sex toys that gives yeah. somebody the chance to privately explore their body or explore with a partner. And now, like, the sex toys that are out there, 
there's stores like that new store just opened up down the street from me. Like, and I'm just like curious about like, I can just walk in and just feel confident about it. And that's something I didn't even notice until like the past five to 10 years really being something that not only did I feel personally confident with, but I was evolving to feel more confident because I saw other people feeling confident about it. And that's really exciting. I do a lot of primary research because I have a large following. So, and they love to take my surveys. <laughs> I'm really appreciative of that too. And one of the things that couples rank themselves very low at or poor at is incorporating sex toys into lovemaking. So we're at this place where women have a vibrator now. Most women have a vibrator or a couple of vibrators. Women are becoming aware of their G-spots, which, by the way, is not a spot. It's actually a long, spongy tube that goes up from the roof of the vagina up into the bladder. And they want to know about their G-spots. More and more people are open to anal pleasure. There's a perineal sponge between the vaginal canal and the rectum that loves stimulation. Women are realizing that their clitoris isn't just a little tip, a little nub, but that it has the little arms and the little legs. And what I spend a lot of time talking to people about is that a woman has as much erectile tissue in her vulva as her male-bodied partner does in his penis. And if you think about a banana, and you can imagine that that's a penis, about half the banana sticks out of a man's body from his abdomen out in what you would think of as his penis. But his penis actually is twice as big as that, It almost. And everybody's a little different, but let's just call it 50-50. It might be 60-40. 50 per, 40 to 50% of his penis is inside his body and goes down toward his testicles. And all of it's filled with erectile tissue. You take that same amount of erectile tissue, get out your little scales, put the penis erectile tissue on one scale, and then you would have the exact same amount of tissue from a woman's vulva on the other side of the scale and it would balance out. But because we can't see it, because 95% of it is buried, and actually the tip of the clitoris isn't even erectile tissue. It's a, a gland that, not it's not a gland, it's like a, a nerve ending location. It's not even erectile. The shaft, the arms, the legs are, the urethral sponge, the perineal sponge. The vagina itself is wrapped, embraced in erectile tissue. But women don't think about ED, loss of sensation, inability to get erect, not having enough stimulation to achieve pleasure. If you think about a man, he's typically not going to have sex. If his penis is flaccid, it's not going to feel as good for him. He wants an erection. But women have sex constantly without a full erection. They don't give themselves time because men have this, this benefit of this thing called hemodynamics. It sounds like a man thing. Hemodynamics. It sounds almost like a superhero. And that's where his corpus spongiosum and his corpus cavernosum, they fill up fast. Bam, he's got a heart on. Well, for women, it's more like a an English muffin with lots of nooks and crannies that need to get filled in with the butter of turn on. And it takes us longer to get our whole vulva erect. And if you think about a flaccid penis and, and you've got a, you make, you make your banana small, it's only going to have so much surface area. When it's erect, it's way bigger and it has way more surface area. And what's the number one sex organ? 
It's the brain. So the signals that come back to the brain when you're erect, you get more signals of pleasure to the brain. And that's where you're getting the turn on and the feeling of pleasure. So if we as women are having sex without an erection, we're not getting the pleasure we need. So many women think, okay, well, I guess I'm just not I'm just not the kind of woman who can have an orgasm from intercourse. And their male body partner's like, well, I guess she can't. Well, that's so wrong. It's actually that they're rushing sex and she's not getting enough genital stimulation, manual stimulation, oral pleasuring, vibrations, all of that to get her vulva plumped up and fluffed and engorged. It's called engorgement. So if I do anything in this world, it's to make people aware that the vulva owners need more engorgement before they're going to get the sexual satisfaction that they deserve. They call it the orgasm gap, how easy it is for a guy to have an orgasm during intercourse versus a woman. She struggles. It's easy for him. And they both think it's her fault. (laughs) And it's no fault of their own for that. But If she can get engorged, she can begin to cross the gasm chasm. She can close that gap and she can start to come without even touching the tip of her clitoris because it's wrapped in erectile tissue. So the things that I tell guys are, number one, women want you well-groomed. Number two, they want you present and not strategizing and figuring out which buttons to push and knobs to turn. And they want you to slow down because you're so fast as a, as the masculine. You're, you're already like testosterone, full of testosterone. That's the hormone of sex. When women are like, I don't want sex. My hormones must be low. I'm like, well, the only one that would be low would be testosterone. It's not your estrogen. But it's not even about that. It's about blood flow. It's about getting the blood pumping to the genitals, getting the turn on going, and then understanding that women have these really slow little stairs they need to climb. So a guy needs to turn around and come back and meet her where she is and move her forward if he can do that with her, if they're a heterosexual partner, which is what most people are. Most people are heterosexual monogamous partners. So I think that's probably the most important piece of advice I could give anybody about developing their sexuality is that if you want to have great sex, it starts with the physiology of engorgement. Fascinating. And I'm also curious, statistically, is that true that most couples are are heterosexual? Yeah, most couples are heterosexual, monogamous. That's the big bell curve. And they're not bringing sex toys into the bedroom. And if they could bring some nice vibrators and get all that tissue vibrating and bringing blood flow in, if women could self-pleasure more often with all these great toys, if couples could integrate them. Just two nights ago, my husband and I made love. And the first thing he did was he gave me a long, sensual yoni massage. And then I we took a break. He gave me a whole bunch of orgasms and he warmed my vulva up. And then I laid back against him and he played with my breasts and gave me nipplegasms while I had a vibrator on my clitoris. Then we had intercourse. I wanted to stimulate my vulva even more. And then we had intercourse and I got on top of him and wrote him cowgirl because I have been really enjoying cowgirl. I didn't used to know how to get myself off 
doing cowgirl and now I do and I want to do it to him all the time. <laughs> I'm having fun with it. <laughs> and so that was our, that was our lovemaking date at that day. It's totally different every time we do it. There's, it's like whatever occurs to us. And that's another piece of it that wisdom I would impart would be a lot of women say, I don't know what I want, but I know what I'm getting isn't it. I don't want to hurt my partner's ego by saying I don't like what they're doing. I can't express my dissatisfaction because I don't have a better alternative. And it must be me. I must be slow. I probably can't come. I must be, you know, hard to have orgasms or what. None of that is true. It's all just what you use as compensating mechanisms to take on blame when in actual fact, you know what you need. Everything that you want is inside you. Your body wisdom will tell you in every moment what she wants or what he wants, depending on how you look at your gender. And your sex is either XX or XY. You were born with either a penis, you're a penis owner or a vulva owner. Your gender expression is totally different, but you are stuck with the equipment. You're stuck with them. They work a certain way and they work differently, even though they're the same parts arranged in a different order. That hemodynamics and the testosterone that the boys got, they got a little competitive edge on that. And what's interesting is people always say, oh, women can come so much and men can only come one time. One more limited thinking thing that I want to eradicate from the universe's perspective, men can are as massively multi-orgasmic as women are. They just conflate ejaculation and orgasm because they think that's how it works. That's not how it works. Ejaculation and orgasm are totally separate systems in the body. You can learn how to decouple them and just start having full body orgasms like women do. You know, but men don't, men don't even like their nipples touched half the time when they're also massively orgasmic. So I'm writing an article right now about the 20 kinds of male and the 20 kinds of female orgasm, just to give people a better understanding of what the awareness is so they can have the potential. I want to go on record by saying I am a guy who has very sensitive nipples and loves them being played with. Good. Which has been an interesting, nego- like you talk about stereotypes and you talk about conditioning, yeah. Susan. Yeah. This is something we talk about ad nauseum here on the podcast It is how do we liberate ourselves and live a life that is authentic to us? And I think a big part of that is deconditioning ourselves from all of yes. the programming we've been discussing. I love my nipples being played with. I think it's one of the most amazing things ever. That has been a learning curve for certain partners of mine where they're like, this is weird. What do you mean you want your nipples licked and touched and played with? I'm like, I love it. And it's something they're simply not used to because most of the men they've been with don't want that area. Like within a square, like there's a fence, there's an alarm system. There's a couple Dobermans don't come near the nips. I'm like, <laughs> they ain't no Dobermans, baby. Let's go, you know, gobble them up. <laughs> that being said, I, for me, you know, you talk about the multi-orgasmic capability. Yeah. I, started to experience that sometimes I sometime I think in my late 20s and I didn't have a frame of reference for it it was like I'm getting these convulsions these energetic charges these sparks I feel things moving up my spine but I'm not ejaculating I didn't even know what it was to that point I over the years with with partners who were willing and open to exploring these things working with breathing techniques working with consciously moving the energy and again, in some ways, there would be certain lovemaking sessions where I would I would do like seminal retention. I would choose not to orga- uh, not to ejaculate rather, mm-hmm. but have a non-ejaculative orgasm. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed in certain moments with different partners is they would assume 
that I wasn't satisfied because I didn't ejaculate. Be like, are you okay? Can I take care of you? Is everything okay? It's like, oh no, I feel, I feel amazing. And then having to try and assure them that because I didn't ejaculate that I was satisfied coming away from the experience. So it's interesting, all the levels of communication, dispelling certain myths, and this idea, which I, I, I think I want to open up here, Susan, is for me, the nuances and the complexities of if we feel our partner isn't satisfied, the emotional dynamics interlaced in that, because then certain fears can come up, right? It, let, let's say I'm really trying, like I'm really engaged, but somehow I perceive my partner isn't satisfied. That can bring up a whole litany of fears around abandonment, being left. I have found that that it's a very, very complicated thing, this idea of wanting to please our partners, wanting to be connected to them, and the fears and frustrations if we feel we're not. Yeah, I think verbal reassurance is such an important part of lovemaking because you you do feel insecure. Even to this day, I've been with my husband 30 years making love with him for 30 years. That guy knows where all my buttons are. And there are still times I still ask him, am I making you happy? Are you satisfied? Is there anything that you'd like to do that we're not doing? You know, how was that cowgirl for you? You know, <laughs> I wrote a book called Dirty Talk and I wish I didn't have to call it that because I don't think it's dirty. It was five ways to talk dirty without feeling weird. It's actually at dirtytalkbook.com. If you want to download it, it's free. I give away a lot of, I, I've written over 40 sex techniques and I just give away a lot of stuff because people have to learn to trust you. They have to know who you are, which I appreciate you having me on the show. And then they have to, they have to like what you have to say. And then they, then they trust you. And then they're like, Oh, well, tell me more. You seem to know a lot about this hot sex stuff, you know? <laughs> and when I wrote dirty talk, I thought people, that's what people call it, but I don't like the word because it's not dirty, especially the kind of, sensual talk and encouragement that I recommend. Things like yoni worship, yoni being a, the tantric lovemaking word for a woman's genitals, Y-O-N-I. And a man's penis is called the lingam, L-I-N-G-A-M. And I think those are nice words. So worshiping the lingam, worshiping the yoni is so beautiful. I love, I love the way it looks today. It's so full of pink life. And I love the little dark edges of the labia. And I can see how you're getting wetter and everything looks so full. And it's making my mouth water when I when I look at you, you know, just saying things like that are so nice to hear. Your lingam is gorgeous. I love this, these veins. It looks like you're straining with your desire for me. I love the little helmet you have. And I love that you're circumcised or you're not circumcised and your balls look beautiful to me. And thank you for shaving and manscaping. It makes me really just want to take all of you in and, you know, whatever you say, this is nice. When you're looking at your partner, their body, their parts, and you appreciate them and you're thinking it, but you don't say it, you leave so much pleasure on the table. And so I wanted to teach people and actually give them word by word things they could say that they could memorize so they could get them in their body and be able to say them in the heat of the moment. And even if it wasn't something that they made up, I don't care, take the stuff I wrote for you. Here you go. That's a place to start. And then you can begin the flow of conversation because there are three kinds of lovers. There are people who are either auditory, visual, or kinesthetic 
in what's called the theta brainwave state, which is the brainwave state of everything from meditation to orgasm. It's our unconscious state of mind. We have our subconscious state of mind and we have our conscious state of mind. And it's a beta state, an alpha state, and a, and a theta state. There's also a gamma state. The theta state, for some people, they get really turned on if they're auditory. They get turned on with, oh, I love it when you coo. I love your moans. I love to, I love to hear your sloppy blowjob. <laughs> and then there are people who are visual. I love to look at you in lingerie. You know, I want to look in your eyes when I come. Let's make love in front of the mirror, doggy style, so I can see your face and your butt. You know, so there's that. And then there's the kinesthetic people who are like, turn off the lights, keep the music low. Let me just feel my way through the process. So you're, you'll tend to end up with someone who's not of your theta state. And when you're with someone who's auditory and you're quiet, you're not giving them the number one thing that turns them on during sex. So it's really fun. And everybody likes it all. I'm not saying that you're only one. Nothing I ever say is black and white. Everything in sexuality is on a big bell curve. But it's fun to explore because now my husband is, he's an auditory. And sometimes when I'm on him cowgirl style, I will tell him the dirtiest, dirtiest story. And I will just take him to the edge, take him to the edge and give him orgasm after orgasm. Because like you, he's a multi-orgasmic man. He doesn't need to ejaculate to have an orgasm. And I'll give him orgasm after orgasm while telling him the whispering in his ear, this dirty story. He can barely remember what it's like. I think it was about cheerleaders. There were a bunch of topless cheerleaders. Was that it? <laughs> and I'll just make stuff up. It doesn't, even have, it doesn't even have to make any sense. I just string things together, you know, and that's fun for him. But when he is giving me a yoni massage, I am completely still and quiet and I'm riding his limbic ride and he's taking me out into outer space. The music's in the background. The lights are low. The room's the right temperature. Everything is perfect. And he just takes over my nervous system and he takes me into ecstasy and takes me higher and higher. And I take those moments of orgasm and stretch them out like taffy. And I just come and come and come and come till I can't come anymore because I'm thirsty and I have to rest. So we have different styles and what we found are ways to adjust to and give each other the kinds of things that really allow us to get into those super heady, fabulous states of pleasure together. Wow. It's Need just the way you articulate. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's like, and I'm I'm sitting here thinking how sometimes these conversations feel so uncomfortable for people. You know, dirty mm -hmm. talk can feel uncomfortable. I, again, I love that you say it's it's not dirty at all. And yeah. I think a lot of people grow up with shame. There are of course darker sides of sexuality, like sexual trauma, that can really impact some people, and people can suppress it. And not even find out they've had trauma because they've, as a coping mechanism, forgot it happened or disassociated. And, you know, that we might hold that in our body and feel a discomfort that doesn't really make sense. And certainly our parents can impact the way that we view sexuality and shame around it, fear around it. And culturally, there's so much negativity around something that's about pleasure. And it can lead people to 
go through life with limited thinking or or discomfort around this. And I'm I'm curious about the healing elements of all of that because I I I would imagine that that's a big part in sexual expression that you have to really acknowledge your previous experiences, whether that was trauma or that was education or just the impacts of of our culture on our viewpoints. So Susan, in your work, is that something that you address? And if so, how do you support people or, or how do others support? Maybe you don't do it directly, but what is that process in getting through those mental and physical challenges when it comes to full expression? You can't be in the sexuality universe without dealing with sexual trauma and healing. And there's a couple of things. The first is that almost everybody's had some trauma between religious repression, societal slut shaming, the giant schlongs on porn making men feel less than, women never really even looking at their vulvas, no erotic and sensual and education, only fear-based. You're going to get pregnant. You should be afraid of semen, you know, all of this kind of stuff. You're going to get an STI. I mean, you should be careful about STIs. It's funny. When I talk about STIs, I, I talk about sex and then, you know, like I'll talk about sexuality and then I'll talk about STIs and people go, well, now you ruined it for me. I'm like, well, grow up, you know, like you have to own your own safety in your life, including STIs. You should know all about it so you can manage and decide what your boundaries and rules are. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. But with regard to sexual trauma, almost ev- no one's, uh, very few people have managed to get through it unscathed in some way. You can absolutely heal from it and come out the other side, a whole healthy and happy human being. It can take work with a therapist. It can be often that our partners heal us by calling us to our sensual potential through their love and their caring and their help and their connection. I think somatic solutions are very, very good for sexual trauma. I'm talking about using body-based techniques, not just talk therapy, but hands-on therapy. For vulva owners, the G-spot awakening really helps clear a lot of the energy in the enteric nervous system that gets trapped in the vulva. So yoni worship, yoni massage, G-spot awakening and healing can be very, very good. And for men, lingam massage as well as prostate stimulation can really help move a lot of stuck energy for men who've been traumatized. But even just trying to get men to be, you know, to not ignore their back door (laughs) is a big leap, you know, if they won't even let you touch their nipples, right? (laughs) I mean, Jason's, you know, point about that was so true. So somatic support is very good working with partners. I've got a very good resource actually that I like a lot. It's called Rewriting Your Libido Story. And it's Dr. Keisha Ewers and I go through how you overcome your own traumas yourself and how you can ultimately get to compassionate forgiveness for your transgressors and become whole again. And I want to give you the URL for that because I do think that's a good one. Let me find it for you. Libido story. It's in here. I think it's libidobook.com. Yes, libidobook.com gets that rewriting your libido story. It's a workbook that helps you become whole. And then on my Better Lover 
website. I've got hundreds of videos that are free. And there's a whole series called Healing My Sexuality with Ariel Giaretto, who is a somatic experience technique, hands-on sexual healer who trains the trainers on how to do somatic experience release. And she goes through how to deal with it if how to deal with your traumas if you're the one who has been traumatized and how to help your partner when they get triggered if they're the one that's been traumatized and those are two very good resources so betterlover.com and libidobook.com are two places you can go for some free resources Susan I I love these resources you shared and and you know they're apropos of something that I'm currently in so I want to get <laughs> I suppose I want to get uncomfortable for a second with with my personal experience. I was in a a really difficult motorcycle accident back in November. So sorry. Thank you. It's been the mental side of it has been much more difficult than the physical healing. And, And here's what I mean by this. I have noticed that I am learning how to trust my body again. And that has affected my sexuality with my partner. I'm, I'm in a, a heterosexual monogamous relationship with my girlfriend. And the dynamics of our sexuality have changed post-accident. And they've changed post-accident because I've noticed something very specific. And the specificity is the depth and the connection and the endurance, the dynamics of our lovemaking when we do make love are still as potent and connected and fireworks and 4th of July and ticker tape. Per, I mean, it, it's a beautiful, deep, connected relationship we have beyond the sexuality, but certainly that dynamic is is beautiful. The thing that I'm struggling with right now is I've noticed that my confidence and my libido has taken a hit since the accident in the sense that I'm scared of re-injuring myself. I feel like my trust in my body and the mechanics of how my body works after the accident is not the same as it was prior. And so when we're talking about you know, traumas, my specific trauma is around you know, an accident, but I'm struggling to, I suppose, get the same level of confidence in my body. And our lovemaking isn't as frequent because I don't trust my body. So I know that's a very specific thing we're we're discussing, but I wanted to use that as a jump off point when when you're talking about trauma. I'm trying to get my confidence and my libido back, and it's taken a hit since the accident. So in a general sense, what do you recommend for finding your confidence and getting your libido back? Because my erections are great. The connection is great. When we do make love, it's amazing. It's just not as frequent because I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I don't trust my body as much. Yeah, I think your nervous system took a real hit. And it's probably very good for you to spend more time being held and holding your partner. I have a technique that is absolutely wonderful. You're putting a little performance anxiety on yourself because you want to go back to where you used to be. And we all have performance anxiety. Women, oh, am I going to be able to come? Am I going to last long enough? You know, all the, do, do I look fad? Does she like me? Do I stink? Is my breath okay? You know, whatever, all that stuff. It's always running through our minds. You have to change the channel and come back to present all the time. But I have a technique that I developed called the soulmate embrace. It's at soulmateembrace.com. <laughs> and it's a free download too. I wrote a book called Sexual Soulmates, The Six Essentials to Connected Sex. It's one of my more popular books. And in it, one of the techniques is the soulmate embrace. A lot of times when we hold our partner, we hold them and when they relax, 
we let go instead of pulling them tighter. And the soulmate embraces, you you get on some cotton clothing, you lie down together, your girlfriend gets in your arms, you hold her, and she completely relaxes. And you allow what comes up for her, and you can switch, obviously. But I'm just going to give you the masculine feminine dynamic. In this case, you may need to be the one who is held, or you may get an, and this is something you have to experiment with yourself, Jason, you may get enough of the calming being the holder, holding her. When you're holding her and she lets down, pull her a little closer. And then what'll happen is emotions will come up for her when she really starts to relax and she'll want to say some things. She'll need to get some things off of her chest, let them come up and let them dissipate. Don't Just listen and hold her tighter. Adjust her hands. It's not a death grip. It's it's just continued application of the pressure of comfort. Our bodies need to be squeezed and held to allow the nervous system to discharge. And orgasm, interestingly, is a contraction with a release of energy. That's why coming makes you feel calm. The soulmate embrace is kind of the beginning of that contraction, if you will, that being held and being embraced and being secured, like a baby likes to be swaddled. And then what'll happen is she may have tears come to her eyes. She may need to release some tears. And then her mouth may begin to water. And she will likely lubricate vaginally, or if you're the masculine, you might find some pre-cum coming out of your penis. Those are when your spit runs, when your tears run, when you're running, when your fluids are moving, those are signs of release and arousal. It'll allow you to begin all sexual arousal that's good begins in relaxation. Relaxation is the the bed on which turn on begins to rise. And many times lovers feel the pressure to turn her on or turn him on. And so they, they're pushing the buttons and twirling the knobs before you let down. You need to let down just like when a mother nurses her baby. As she holds that baby close, she can actually feel the milk come down into her breasts and begin to express through her nipples to her child. That same feeling, it's the fluids running. So you'll know when she's starting to water in some way that you can begin to kiss her eyelids, kiss her cheeks, stroke her hair, run your fingers from the top of her shoulders, down her arms, down her back, stroke a thigh, depending on your body dynamics and the lengths of your bodies. Never going into sexual touch. There are four kinds of touch. There's nurturing touch, there's healing touch, there's sensual touch, and there's sexual touch. Often when people are trying to have sex, they're doing sexual touch. But in, instead, you'd want to do nurturing touch and sensual touch first. And then at some point, 
you'll feel your turn on and your arousal starting to begin. And that's when you can start to kiss lips, but not stick tongues in. First kiss face, kiss lips, kiss necks, kiss collarbones. Tell each other you love each other. Look into each other's eyes. You know, you want to slow your breath down. You want to syncopate your hearts. This is the time to just completely relax with each other. My spit is running just telling you to do this. (laughs) I'm relaxing myself just thinking about having a soulmate embrace. Isn't that so funny? And sometimes a good squeeze, like a really nice, just like, oh, do that again. Do it a little higher, right across my shoulder blades. Okay. Yes, that feels so good. Now rub my neck right here. Okay. Oh yeah. That one spot I love. Rub that spot. Ah, ah, that's so good. Now kiss me. And you just go off into bliss. It's amazing when you give the body what it needs to get relaxed, how turned on, how easy the turn on is from there. So try that and see if that will help you. It's gold, Susan. (laughs) No, it's, it's gold. And I think what I have come to realize in your description of that is I have really not allowed myself to be fully nurtured after the accident. Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, okay, business as usual, get the surgery, go to PT, oh, business, running two businesses, just kind of the prototypical masculine, go, 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 go. It'll heal on its own. It's fine. And I think what you have highlighted and elucidated for me so brilliantly is that I need to open myself to a different kind of replenishment in my nervous system. Yeah. And the willingness to ask my partner to hold me and not be worried about this old paradigm of, oh, she's going to think I'm weak. She's going to think I'm frail. Uh, you know, this sort of old paradigm masculinity thing of like, don't ask for help. Don't ask for healing. The reality is I do need help and I do need healing and I want those things. And so you've given me a great gift, not only in the technique you shared, but to allow me to realize that I can ask for those things and not feel a sense of shame or weakness in asking for those things. So thank you. Your gift that you give her is allowing her to be nurturing to you. Thank you. And confronting my reticence to allow her to receive that gift. That's huge. It's huge. The interesting thing about our dynamic too, we talk about the myriad dynamics and and I suppose the individual experience here too, you know, one thing we talk about, Susan, is the rise of sort of ableism. And that in a lot of the portrayals of sexuality in the media, the portrayals of sexuality in pornography, the, the, the sort of rote things we've been told doesn't really take into account people with physical limitations or disabilities. Now, certainly for me, I'm almost fully healed from my accident physically. But that experience gave me a window. I mean, I I remember barely being able to move my arm. I mean, I couldn't even lift it two inches away from my body. Gave me such a deeper level of compassion and awareness toward people who are living with physical limitations and disabilities for the rest of their life. That depth of compassion. And, And so with your work, you know, how can we highlight sexuality and intimacy toward people that are differently abled and not just thinking about sexuality in one way for a piece for a person who may have all of their quote normal physical faculties. Yeah, I have a technique that I developed because you know like just Tuesday I'm going to be doing a an event for cancer survivors and how can you begin to revisit your sexuality after you've almost died? 
you know, our libido is our lust, our wanting of sex. And that's libido is our sex drive are two sides of the same coin. If your health is suppressed, your libido is suppressed. You can tell when your health is improving, when your libido begins to come back. And the magic pill method was something that I I sent out an email to my list and I said, all right, I'm not going to be able to answer all of you because I'm going to get too many responses, but I'm going to read every single one. I sent out an email that this was a couple of years ago now. I sent out an email that said, tell me what's holding you back from having the intimacy that you crave. The only thing that I don't want to know about is if you're single. Like it's not about date. This is not a dating thing. This is more like, what are the other reasons why you don't have the intimacy that you want? And when I got back hundreds and hundreds of responses, I worked with Maurice, who's been working with me for over a decade, and we went through them all, and she helped me organize them into categories. And I looked at the clusters, and then I realized, and then I went to bed, and I like to give my brain the kind of lucid dreaming prompts. Went to bed, how do I solve this for everyone? And really what I was looking for was that teach a man to fish or teach a person to fish. Don't give them the fish, teach them to fish. How can I help them solve their own problem? Because I saw every email come in and I'm like, well, I can fix that. 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 And then, but I'm not, I can't fix it all. I don't have the time. So what can I give them that they can fix it? And I developed this thing called the magic pill method. And what happens is that when people are in a long-term relationship and something happens, a trauma, an illness, what have you, people don't talk about it. They just stop being intimate and they end up being platonic and they end up being resentful and lonely and disconnected and sad and longing and they feel badly about themselves. And then they miss the oxytocin and all of the wonderful chemicals that come from semen, which is so good for women and, you know, just everything that comes from having orgasm and being held and being close. There's just so much that goes by the wayside. And there was one problem I couldn't solve and that was betrayal. And about 20% of people, it's really high. They are hurt by someone and they never trust again. They hold the bitterness till the end of their days. I I mean, they'll be talking about it at 83 years old. They'll be complaining about something that happened 73 years ago because they don't know how to process it and let it go. I can't fix that. What I can fix are all the things that happen to us that keep us from having intimate connection. And here's the simple thing, and it's at magicpillmethod.com. No surprise. I've got the best URLs in the business. Magic pill method is... You make a list of all the things you used to do and all the things you still can do that you enjoy doing. You eat a good meal and you're well hydrated and you sit on the sofa facing each other and you hold hands and first person goes through their list. These are the things I used to do that I miss. And these are the things I could still do that I'd like to do. And then the other person goes, and then you just listen to each other and you just trade lists. And then you, you just thank each other. And then you come back a day or two later. And you talk about, I would love to do these things. I would love to do these things. Okay. And then what is it that's really the problem? Is it erectile dysfunction? Is it vaginal pain? Is it, you know, a complete exhaustion? Is it my joints hurt? Is it whatever? There's a, you know, there's always physical types of things or emotional types of things. And so you not only have this working list of things you can begin to do again, but you have what needs to get fixed and how are we going to resource and research 
getting it fixed. Do I need, do I have lichen sclerosis and I need to go get stem cells? How am I going to get this paid for? Do I have erectile dysfunction? I'm going to go get gains wave. Is, do I have vaginal pain? Do I need to look into estrogen, intravaginal estrogen cream and DHEA cream or get a V fit and use photobiomodulation to restore my vaginal mucosa to youthful levels so that it doesn't hurt to have sex? Whatever it is, there is a solution to almost every problem that is sexual in nature. Between all the sexual regenerative therapies and the biohacking and the bioidentical hormones and the wonderful treatments that are out there, there are solutions. And some of them are expensive, but there are almost always, and this is one of the things that I kind of pride myself on, budget and luxury options. Do I have more time than money? Do I have more money than time? You know, <laughs> Do I like to do it myself? Do I want it done for me? And I always try to give people a matrix of options. Well, use these two creams, combine them together in your finger and stick them up your yoni, or go get a Cleovana, whatever it might be, or a Femi Wave or whatever. So once they come up with, okay, what's the solution? Researching the solutions. Now, who's going to make the appointments? Who's driving? You know, <laughs> right? We're in this together. We've got to fix it together. So I like the practical, mechanical piece of it with the what's still on the table. Because as soon as people stop having intercourse, they think sex is off the table. And it is not at all. I mean, even a guy who has intractable erectile dysfunction, maybe diabetes, he's not going to be able to reverse that diabetes. So he stops having sex with his wife. What about a nice vibrating dildo? <laughs> That's a fabulous thing. Uh, Hot Octopus makes this thing that you can put your flaccid penis in. It's called the Pulse Duo. You put your flaccid penis, it's got this little stimulating plate, and then she rides on top, cowgirl style, my current favorite, and it's like a Sibian. It's like a little vibrator she sits on. You can do missionary sex and have orgasms together while you're making out and you're playing with her breasts and you're completely flaccid and you're still having great sex and she's having fantastic orgasms and you can have an orgasm without an erection. So there's just solutions to everything if you know where to look and what to do. And it's really that concerted effort of being willing to make the list, talk about it, find the solutions and fix the problem. And the magic pill method goes through that in more detail and gives you worksheets. Wow. I'm That's so empowering. And it also leads me to something I want to touch on, which is homosexual relationships. Yeah. And being a heterosexual woman, there's a lot. I don't know. I'm ignorant. And actually the other day, it might have even been yesterday, I was thinking to myself, huh, like, I wonder how exactly lesbian women define sex. Yeah. Because is it because in my head, sex is intercourse. Mm. But so much of what you're saying is reminding me that there's so much about sex that is not intercourse. And it's important to have awareness, even as a heterosexual person, I would like to know more about homosexual dynamics because I'm just curious and I, I want to understand other people. And I was just sitting here thinking, wow, so much of what you said can apply to lesbians as well, right? Because if they're, or, or people that choose to have, have sex, you know, bisexuality as well is covered in there. You might be experimenting. You might, you know, I've, I've always been curious. Like I wonder in my lifetime, will I have sex with a woman fully? Or maybe I already I so. have in some of my explorations, you know, and I hope so too, because I'm, I'm simply curious. And then sometimes you wonder about the sexuality spectrum. Like I don't identify as a bisexual woman, but 
I definitely have curiosities and interests because it's a form of pleasure and intimacy. And there's a lot of that that I'm fascinated by. I'd like to learn more about. And I think it's just so important to address it because I don't want people to feel left out. And and certainly intercourse can happen, to your point, with toys. So I, I'm actually curious, Susan, like if you happen to know or maybe the, each person has different definitions, but like when two women have sex, does that mean they're just doing sexual acts? Does, is there no one definition as there might be for like heterosexual people? Like what are some different definitions of sex, I suppose, is my question. Well, people are doing so many amazing different things. You know, the, the standards for gay sex are more scissoring, fingering, oral, you know, using toys, etc. So there's a ton you can explore and being willing to be fluid about your desires is happening more and more with people. A lot of people call themselves heteroflexible, like they're primarily heterosexual, but they would be open to having a, a relationship with a woman. And maybe you don't, maybe you're not ready right away to go down on a woman, but you would like to hold each other, kiss each other, play with each other's breasts, show each other your genitals, give yourselves a little, a little pussy tour. I think that's always good with every new lover, right? Just like, here's my Oni. This is my clit. I like these kind of strokes. You know, this is what I've always liked about her. You know, this is the kind of way I masturbate, whatever it might be. These are the toys I like keeping open, you know, there's so many new categories of sexuality from the sapiosexual, which is I'm turned on by smart people who have, you know, intelligence is what gets me. I don't really care so much about what you look like. I, I care about how you, how our intellectual stimulation works or a demisexual, which is, it's not so much what your gender is, but what the emotional connection is that's created. So there are a lot of new flavors of sexuality. There's an app that I'm currently playing around with that I'm very impressed with their approach, which is called Field, F-E-E-L-D. It started out as an app for couples looking for a third for threesomes, but it quickly expanded to we're the sex positive app that's not Grinder, which is the gay man's, or I forget what the lesbian one is. I've been on it. I've been on so many of those apps. I'm always trying to keep up with what's going on in the world of apps to help people make their connections better. And they have 20 categories for your sexual expression, how you express yourself. I'm bisexual. I'm heterosexual. I'm heteroflexible. I'm semi, I'm sapiosexual. I'm demisexual. I'm pansexual. I'm, you know, all of these different things. So this world is exploding and it's, there's just a really, a lot of wonderful opportunity to just do as much as you're comfortable with and start out because there's women having sex with women is women who used to think they were heterosexual having sex with other women is exploding right now. 
And men who thought they were heterosexual and don't identify as gay, but are flexible about it, like they would be in a threesome with another man, where five years ago, the only kind of threesome they could have imagined would have been there with two women. Now they're like, you know, I actually am interested in partnering with another guy. And I don't want to be sexual with him per se, but if my penis touches his penis, I'm fine with it. It's not the end of the world. I don't mind if my arm grazes his or we're in some funky position and I'm fine with that. So everything is moving toward open and fluid and experimental and willing to just play a little bit more that I'm excited about that. I think that's, we're going in the right direction, which is we're right back to where we started, which is everything's just kind of expanding, including heart connection and people wanting more heart connection and consciousness and choice in how they conduct their sex life. Susan, one of my favorite things throughout this entire episode is all of the references and analogies you have made to food and sensuality and (laughs) consuming. And as a chef, I have to say food is one of the great sensual experiences of being a human being. I mean, I don't know that it would exceed great sex, but I think it's a transcendent meal is up there. It really is. And so kudos to you for the wonderful references. Also, as a jump off point, we talk about libido. You mentioned your supplement company. And you also mentioned before we recorded that you have this great Viagrette, Viagrette dressing. And and so I want to talk about food and sexuality. Because as a chef, I have experimented with a lot of different Chinese herbs, Ayurvedic herbs, zinc-rich foods. So what are some of your favorite libido boosters, sexual enhancing foods, super herbs, super foods? Give us the whole kit and caboodle. Okay. I'll make it very easy. I studied libidos and aphrodisiacs for many, many years, looked at all the data and research, as well as studied the indigenous wisdom of our ancestors to see what was efficacious. Because throughout living history of Homo sapien, which by the way, I just want to make a level set about us as Homo sapiens. And that is that if you if you imagine the tree of life and in the branches are are the animal kingdom. And you've got the dolphins and the whales and the ponies and the puppies and the lions and the kitties and the monkeys and the apes. You look out on the monkey ape branch and there are the primates and the great apes. And there's the bonobos and the chimpanzees and the orangutans and the homo sapiens. And that's us. We are apes. We have, what, 96% shared DNA with chimpanzees and bonobos. And when we think about ourselves as being sitting at the base of the tree eating an apple, like we're not in the tree, that's wrong. We're in the tree. We're animals. We're run by our sugar highs and lows, the crap we've stuck in our body, the broken fats and oils that we've polluted ourselves with, all the booze we consume, all the drugs we take, all the toxins we dump on our bodies from the health and beauty products. And, you know, we are essentially assaulting ourselves with toxins 24-7, which are wreaking havoc with our gut microbiome. We're taking antibiotics that are killing off our gut microbiome. We can't produce our feel-good neurotransmitters and our turn-on hormones without having a good gut. 
And we can't get a hard on men and women, people across the gender spectrum, when we fill our vascular system with bad fats and sugars. And so my salad dressing recipe is Viagrette, the undressing dressing. And it's essentially Jacques Pepin's French salad dressing. It's a tablespoon of Dijon, a cup of I like organic avocado oil, and a quarter of a cup of vinegar. I like a nice sherry, aged sherry vinegar or red wine vinegar, some salt, some pepper. I like a chopped shallot because I think it makes a fantastic dressing. Throw it all in a shaker, put in your nice Malden salt and some nice compact ground black pepper from Cambodia, and you have shake, shake, shake the makings for a delicious salad dressing. It's lasts in your refrigerator. The only thing that's fresh in that whole thing is a shallot. And then I always recommend one of two dried herbs, never together, one or the other. Dried savory is excellent or dried marjoram is excellent. So you can keep all the stuff in your house. When you're coming home from the airport and you pick up your whatever you need for your coffee or whatever you need for your morning and you throw a shallot in the basket, chop, 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 shake, shake, shake. And then you've got your beautiful organic lettuce, all your good raw vegetables, anything that you want to put in that. That's my lunch every day. And it keeps my blood flowing and coursing through my body and gives me good health and no heart disease. So I really love that because I feel badly when I see people trying to eat well, and then they dump bottled salad dressing on their beautiful salad, which is just garbage, thickeners and terrible things. There's not one decent bottle dressing out there. And salad dressing is the easiest thing to make to instantly improve your health. So I, I call it my Viagrette instead of my vinaigrette. My, it's like taking Viagra, you know. <laughs> and then as far as botanicals, I've studied them all and there are five that really make a difference. These are the botanicals that I use in my supplements. The first is Tonkat Ali. And, and it's interesting because really what they are, are the libido enhancing supplements from different parts of the world. One's TCM, one's Ayurvedic, you know, they're just the plant that worked to unbind your hormones, to improve your libido. One is fenugreek. That's your Ayurvedic one. One is Tonkatali, that's your Southeast Asian Malaysian one. Uh, so you've got that. And then you've got Tribulus terrestris, that's your Mediterranean one. And then you have cacao, that's your South American and equatorial one with cacao. That's a polyphenol that keeps your blood flowing. It doesn't do a ton for your hormones, but it keeps your blood flowing, which means your body can produce those hormones and neurotransmitters. And then finally, maca, which is your Peruvian root. And you don't need the black maca or the red maca, honestly, for any one of any gender. Just you're just your plain old white maca is perfectly fine. So maca, cacao, tribulus, tonkatali, and fenugreek. But you have to know that when you're using botanicals, you want to herb cycle. So for example, I make a supplement called Desire. It's a daily multivitamin, multimineral, and it uses methylated B vitamins. So they're highly bioactive, which is good. You can get the B complex and really utilize it. And then I have three different versions of the Desire supplement. One has tonkat, one has tribulus, one has fenugreek. It's like a 90-day supply. You get your one a day, 
with a little something more, the libido botanical in it, because you do need minerals to make your hormones and you need vitamins to make your hormones. You can't just get it from a lot of the foods that we eat today. So I have a three different desire supplements so that you can rotate through because your body essentially acclimatizes to them if you take them all the time. So you can herb cycle. And that seems to work really well for people. That with flow, my blood flow supplement. And the blood flow supplement I make from organic citrulline, which is watermelon. The watermelon is called Citrullus vulgaris. <laughs> and I make it from organic citrulline, organic spinach, and organic bitter cherries. And that is really good for getting vaginal lubrication, for getting erectile firmness, for getting sensation back that you lose as you age. So that's been a very, very, very fun business to be in. I've really enjoyed moving from just publishing the passionate lovemaking techniques to also giving people the supplements that support their health. Because I realized that sex is a three-legged stool. The techniques are great but they're no good without the communication. That's the second stool. And they're no good without health. And that's the third stool. So if you really want to have great health your whole life, the mindset of lifetime learning, belief that your sexuality is ageless, and that you have to take care of your health and talk about your sex life is really, that's the key. I just, Susan, I feel like we could go on and on and on about recipes and foods. And when you were talking about mauled on salt and the specific kind of pepper, you're in good company here. We we love food. We research food. It's been a crux of of the business that we've been doing. So we are definitely kindred spirits. And I just want to thank you so much. You, you have been so incredibly delightful Aww. and open and a breath of fresh air. Your energy, <laughs> your wisdom, your heart. I was coming into this interview pretty low energy, to be honest, and I'm leaving this interview feeling inspired, feeling lit up, feeling like you're in the room with us. So I just thank you so much for this incredible goldmine of wisdom and heart you have shared with us and our listeners today. And and that note, I just have to say, Jason, she proved how auditory stimulation works. Because it <laughs> is so true, Susan, beforehand, he was low, low energy. But just hearing you act, I could see him like coming to life. It was like Jason was body was erecting. It was or engorged. <laughs> Jason was engorged. I could see him light up and just like sitting there thinking, wow, like he's going to have a fun night tonight after this. <laughs> and he probably he's didn't get think he had it embrace. in it. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get a soulmate embrace, Whitney. <laughs> yep. I, ho I hope your girlfriend's coming over, Jason. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to text her and be like, when are you off work, baby? When are you off work? Dinner's going to be ready. Okay, satin sheets. Excellent. Great. Great. Sending the, the kids. We don't have kids, but we have fur animals. Sending the fur animals to school. They're going... <laughs> Susan, you have shared so many incredible websites and resources. We're going to link to all of that in the show notes, but verbally, auditorily speaking, where do you want to direct our wonderful listeners so they can hear where to find you? You can go to susanbratton.com. I'm at Susan Bratton on Instagram. You can go to that Better Lover site if you're video-oriented and you like to see things, or you can go to Personal Life Media. Dot com to get on my email newsletter list and get all my fabulous sex tips by email. 
Wonderful. Susan, it is an absolute pleasure. I hope to meet you and connect with you in person because you're an absolute shining light in this world. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your heart, your love here. I am in deep appreciation and reverence for you. And for you, dear listener, if you have resonated as deeply as I have and Whitney has with Susan, please go to her website, her social media, join her newsletter, and just gobble up the just deliciousness this woman is sharing with the world. We love you, Susan. We appreciate you. Thank you for being here on the podcast. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 